0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to our next episode of the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. I'm Ann Louise Gittleman, your hostess with the mostess. And today I have the distinct privilege of welcoming Bill Tara to our Podcast Because Bill Tara has been a virtual legend in the macrobiotic community. He's been a health counselor, a teacher, an author, an entrepreneur, and the creator of health education centers throughout Europe and North America. And he was just awarded the Michio Kushi Peace Prize this summer. In the United States. He has been on the faculty of several very astute and very prestigious institutes in Switzerland and in Spain, as well as in London. And together with his wife, he teaches workshops and intensive training in macrobiotics, vegan nutrition, and natural health care. So without further ado, welcome to you, Bill Tara. What a pleasure it is to have you with us on the First Lady of Nutrition podcast.
1: Well, thank you very much, First Lady.
0: Well, you're the first man of microbiotics, microbi- ma- I should say. I mean, you're you're pretty legendary in the community. I've heard about you for years, and I know that you now have a new book called How to Eat Right and Save the Planet. Why did you write this book? Well, I,
1: I wrote this book because I wanted to I wanted to present um, n- nutrition in a way that connected all the dots. You know, there's a there's a growing concern about the relationship between what we eat and not only the health benefits for ourselves, but also the implications that that has for the planet. Um, and that's been something that's been uh, a driving force in my teaching for many years. And it's starting, starting to get more, uh, uh, more notice now. And I wanted to try to connect those dots up between the planet and ourselves and uh, the food that we eat. And, and also the issue of um, what's called in, in Buddhism and uh, Hinduism, ahisma which is the concept of do no harm.
0: Oh, uh, I, I love that. So, so your book would also be appropriate for people that are following a vegan or raw food lifestyle, do you think? Oh, abs-
1: absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So you are, you're, you are going against the grain, I guess, literally and figuratively, because your new book strongly advocates a, a kind of newly cast or newly framed macrobiotic diet, but we're still in the age of higher fat with the keto, the paleo. High to, to to moderately high protein, so how do you view the newer trends that are out there and the results that people seem to be getting with higher fat and higher protein and some of them animal based diets well I think there's a, I
1: think we have to to identify what the priority is that a person is following a diet for um, w- when we look at what nutrition is really about it's all about what's referred to as homeostasis and I'm using that term and it's an original form. And that mean, means the balance between the individual and the environment that they live in. And so w- health is really an environmental issue. It's, it's how we link up the internal environment and the gut biome with the external envirom- environment that, uh, that we inhabit. And when you look at nutrition from that point of view, it's very easy to see that um, uh, that the diet that's most popular, some of the diets that are most popular right now, are really not are not very good for the environment that we live in. Uh, aside from the health issues, and the health issues really boil down to weight loss. Um, my own my own reflections are that most people eat a keto diet uh, because of weight issues, right? Or because they want to stay slim, and of course you can do that because. Uh, A ketotonic state is like a state of starvation, uh, biologically. Uh, It's very hard on the kidneys of the body, and I have to tell you that I very seldom see in my own counseling practice people that have stuck with that diet for any any length of time, because we are carbohydrate eaters. That's what our body runs on, carbohydrate. It doesn't run on fat and protein. We make fat and protein, uh, but uh, carbohydrate is what we need to take in.
0: So, for the benefit of our listeners, how would you explain what the principles of a macrobiotic diet are, or an upgraded macrobiotic diet that you write about, and how to eat right and save the planet? Well, I
1: I think there's a number of things. You know, this has been for me and for uh, many of the people that I've uh, been associated with over the years. uh, This has been a 50-year experiment. Uh, I started. I started eating a macrobiotic diet 55 years ago, and um, uh, I started it mainly for philosophical reasons, although I had some incredible health experiences right at the at the beginning. Uh, but what I discovered is, and and what I think has been discovered by many is that um, that the original diet was a little too restrictive and it didn't have enough vegetables in it. It was a it was a very grain heavy diet. and uh, that's fine in some circumstances, but not in all circumstances. And so, uh, we see what we've seen happening is that uh, as macrobiotics has grown, uh, there's it's been a more it's become a more diverse diet. It's been influenced by other cultures aside from Japan, uh, and that's where the origin came from. And it's quite, it's quite natural that the first teachers who were Japanese uh, taught a diet that was very very uh, uh,
0: based on a Japanese way of eating. So what does it consist of? So you have gone in and kind of updated and upgraded the macrobiotic diet. As I recall, it has a certain amount of sea vegetables play an unusually important part. You've got your grains and they have to be whole grains. They cannot be processed grains, as I recall. Limited amounts of protein except for the occasional fish. I don't think meat is part of the regimen. Um, very little fruits and the vegetables should more, more or less be fermented, if I'm recalling correctly. So, well, wh- what have you done to those basic principles? You know, let me start from the bottom up. The uh, the,
1: the the grain part of the of the diet is still there, um, and that's i think that the the original idea with macrobiotics was to try to replicate the kind of diets that people ate uh, at the time of the agrarian revolution you know which was about 10,000 years ago and cereal grains were the grains that really drove all the major civilizations in the world uh, they're they're a, a, a plant that can feed the most number of people off of the least amount of land which is very practical and uh, in the beginning, when people started doing agriculture, they discovered that grains and beans together uh, were, was, a, was a combination that gave people uh, not only the energy to do their work and to live their lives, but uh, also uh, that they were foods that could be counted on. They were sustainable foods. Uh, during that, and so we still use those those foods uh, primarily in macrobiotics. we still, still eat a lot of grain. We still have beans uh, most of the time. Um, Vegetables, we try to stay within seasonal relationships. We, we do use fermented vegetables sometimes, but that's not a priority. Um, mm. uh, uh, maybe by weight or by, by, the, by the volume of food on the plate, maybe half of the plate would be vegetables. Mo- uh, a, good, a good portion of them cooked and, and some of them raw. This is, I'm talking about modern macrobiotics. Um, sea vegetables are, are still included, and I think they're an important addition to the diet and where the ferments come in is really in this in the fermented soy products miso and tamari primarily also natto and uh, tempeh those foods that come from asia where people really understood how to use uh, soy uh, which we didn't understand in the west and still don't when we when we use it in, in, in diets um, and then fruits and nuts and seeds um, you mentioned fish and other in other animal forms of protein and originally in macrobiotics Um, fish was included in the diet. Um, My own take on it is uh, that more and more macrobiotic people are becoming vegan, and I certainly advocate that. I I think that uh, the world that we live in is not a world which we can sustain any kind of animal food consumption in anymore, even if we uh, don't consider the fact that it might not be the best idea to kill sentient creatures.
0: So there is this spiritual component, which I fully uh, respect and admire. But but why are people attracted to macrobiotics in the first place? I mean, it's been used as a cancer control diet. Why is that? What are the aspects of it that are actually so curative and even reversible in certain cases of cancer?
1: Well, there's 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 really two questions there. There's or, or there's one assumption and a question. Uh, the assumption is that people are flocking to macrobiotics, and that's not really the case. Uh, uh, people flocked to macrobiotics in the 70s, uh, uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, now there's a, there are a lot more people doing the similar kinds of diets as, as ourselves. And I think that probably, uh, and this statistically is true, the, the biggest growth in, in dietary uh, approaches is really in veganism right now. It's, it's, it's not in macrobiotics. Uh, macrobiotics still has a good presence in the world and and I think that macrobiotics has bought brought a lot to the conversation um, you know when in in the 90 in the late 1960s and and up through the 80s um, most of the macro most of the uh, natural foods that were brought into the marketplace were brought in through people who were macrobiotic uh, they were the first first wholesalers of uh, organic grains or the first retail the successful retailers of of natural foods products like that, um, so I think that you know that, that that's really that's really where the emphasis is. And uh, in answering your or in answering that part of your question, I missed the second part of your question,
0: well, <laughs> which was. Well, what- which was, and, and, and I first became involved with macrobiotics myself in the 70s. I was going to school uh, in New York. I was a Columbia nutrition student and used to go down to the village where there was a magnificent restaurant, which was known as the Cauldron. Do you recall That's that? Right. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. So I, I used to engage in big, big plates of brown rice and vegetables with the most delicious salad dressing that they finally gave me the recipe for years later, which was made with beets and tahini. So I was a big believer, and it was, certainly, uh, it was certainly affordable, you know, as a starving student back then. They had wonderful pastries, they had a bake shop, and so on and so forth. And then I learned that many individuals were actually embracing a macrobiotic diet, and you're right, the heyday was the 60s and 70s, but they were doing so to uh, control their cancer or to overcome a cancer diagnosis right So my question to you is what is what was there about the diet and it, then and today which would help an individual overcome a devastating diagnosis well I think there's
1: there's there's a couple of things here one is that um, most of most of that activity happened after, uh 1979 1980 uh, there was a there was a a, quite a well-known book that was written about that time called recalled by life uh written by a doctor
0: yeah 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 Uh, i I know that i know that guy anthony
1: satelaro anthony satelaro and that book kind of popular popularized macrobiotics
0: uh
1: as as a cancer therapy and um it's true that many people had their cancers reversed at that time, but I want to, I want to make it clear here that most of the people that were coming to macrobiotics at that time and other approaches to nutrition as well, were people who were really uh, pretty desperate. They were people that had been given up by the medical profession. Um, And, and, and almost all of them were eating a standard American diet. Now, that, it's a very important thing. When a person is eating a diet like the conventional American diet, when they're eating lots of fat, uh, lots, of, lots of protein, when they're eating junk food, basically, and they switch over to a good, wholesome diet with whole foods in it, um, the body responds really well if the body still has enough strength. You know and so you you find people reversing cancers or reversing heart disease or reversing diabetes it's not really a miracle and 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 it's certainly not something that was just happening with macrobiotics there were there were many different approaches at, at that time and particularly now where this is pretty much uh, accepted you know people like John McDougall on the west coast and uh, um, uh, uh, Neil Barnard, uh, the, uh, you know, in, in Washington, DC, and Caldwell Eschelstein. These people are all well known physicians, and they're running workshops and, and programs, and people are reversing all sorts of disease. Not so much cancer. Um, this is a, you know, it's, it's a real difficult mystery. Cancer is a disease which is caused usually by a constellation of different things. You know, you can have environmental causes and and, and, and nutritional causes. When you look at the epidemiology, what becomes obvious is that the areas where people eat the most animal source food, that's where the most cancers show up. That was the, that was one of the premises of uh, Colin T, or T. Colin Campbell's China study.
0: Yeah, you know, that's a, what yeah. that's what they
1: discovered at Cornell University and uh, uh, Oxford University when they did that when they did that large epidemiological uh, project. Uh, that was what they discovered. You know, they discovered that it was the consumption of animal protein that drove up the rates of uh, cancer. Now, there were no, there were no vegans that were tested because vegans are are thin in the ground in in China. No, but what they did notice was that there was a correlation between the volumes of animal quality food and the incidence of cancer. And that's and that's, that's been shown over and over and over again. I mean, that, that goes back, research on that goes back into the 1960s. You know, um, so, so that's nothing new. So it just make, to me, it just makes common sense that if you know that there, is, there, there, is a, there are nutritional components which can provoke the beginning of cancer, you have to assume that those would exacerbate cancer as well. And if you stopped those foods and started eating a really good diet, however you define that—a diet which is a wholesome diet, like a whole food, plant-based diet—which is the way that most of most of those doctors are identifying what they do—then uh, th- that gives the body a chance to recover from this nutritional stress and start to repair itself. And uh, who knows what happens then? I mean, there are some there are some very common diseases that we see. In our work, uh, reversed all the time, like type two diabetes. You know, it's uh, you know usually that can be reversed in a very short period of time, and there's an in- increasing clinical uh, studies that have been done on that to show that that's true across the board. Uh, heart disease certainly can be reversed. Dean Ornish in America has been doing that since the 1970s with a diet that was very similar to a macrobiotic diet. So, you know, I think that. We, we tend to mythologize uh, some of these approaches uh, when really it's just common sense. You know, if you're eating a diet which is, which is putting your body under a tremendous amount of stress nutritionally and you take the stress away and you, uh, you give it good food and you reestablish a good gut biome, well, your body's going to do what it's designed to do and it's designed to be healthy, not designed to be sick.
0: Do you identify any particular superfoods in your book, How to Eat Right and Save the Planet? Any foods that have super, super uh, qualities of of health and healing?
1: I'm I'm not a believer in superfoods. I think it's a scam. I think all it does is sell a particular kind of food, you know. So, you know, uh, uh, I remember 20 years ago, (laughs) just... After I had just moved back to back to Europe, I went back to the States and I walked into a Whole Foods in New York City, uh, and there were there were uh, piles of stacks of coconut milk up to the ceiling. And I thought, what the hell is all that about? You know, and now, then I discovered that coconuts were the were the flavor Superfood, of the day.
0: correct, correct. You know, and and and, 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 right. and
1: I've, I've been in this I've been in this industry, if you will, for fifty years, and I've seen it come and go. I've seen it go from you know uh, hunza apricots to shark fin to this to that to the other that's not what it's about nutrition is about combinations of good quality food it's not about a single thing
0: so in relation to so in relation to these scams and the superfoods that are always promoted by the herb of the month people or the superfood of the month how would you discuss the major players in the fast food industry that are feeding people I would say false nutritional data, and they're also using platforms like social media, uh, TV, radio ads, and even the FDA, and so they're spreading falsehoods. How do we help people to see through the scams and wake up to what these companies are truly doing?
1: Well, you know, people, we all have to educate ourselves. You know, uh, we, <laughs> anybody that doesn't know that, uh, the, that the internet is filled with nonsense, and that social media is filled with nonsense has been living in a cave you know it's not a good place to get information we have to think for ourselves we have to read and study and you know also one of the things that was always predominant in macrobiotics which i think was really good and that was people said you know pick the habits that you want to follow and then judge by the results that you get you know and and, and that's the best way to do it i mean when my wife and i worked we give people a 21-day program to start out with, and it's a very simple nutritional program and a very cheap program to follow. And, and our instructions to them are, follow this to the letter. And if you have any problems, then you know, we, we have a conversation with them or whatever. But what we find is if people stick with a program that's a simple, uh, straightforward program of grains and beans and vegetables and nuts and seeds and fruits, they stick with it. That kind of a program, and they and they're preparing their food well, which I think is important because people have forgotten how to cook food. Right? They prepare their food well. <laughs> uh, they're gonna they're gonna get good results. You know, and this is like people do. The problems usually aren't in the effectiveness uh, efficiency of the food. The problems lie in the fact that we're all addicted to the foods that we've been eating. You know, we have a you have an emotional relationship with the food that we eat. It's much bigger than the physical relationship that we have.
0: Yeah, so true, but I want to get down to specifics. What do you have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Can you give me a typical day?
1: Sure, I'll give you today. Right? I, yes, you know, thank you. Every, every morning, I have exactly the same breakfast. <laughs> My body knows exactly what it's going to get, and that is I, I eat a bowl of soft rice porridge uh, with, with some seeds in it, uh, and uh, sometimes I, I use natto. I don't know if you're familiar with natto. A lot of people don't like natto. It's a fermented bean, soybean product. Uh, it, it's got a very unusual taste. I usually have that. In the wintertime, I might have a bowl of miso soup uh, for breakfast as well, and uh, that usually has uh, a little bit of uh, wakame seaweed and some mitake mushrooms in it. Now, I eat those during the winter. In the summertime, when it's warmer, uh, I might uh, forego the miso soup, but we always, have, we always have brown rice porridge in the morning. We feel it's very important that you have a good uh, carbohydrate, complex carbohydrate source in your belly in the morning, because that's what you're going, going to run on. And it's not going to spike your sugar. It's going to very slowly give you energy throughout the day and through, through, through to lunch. We usually, just because of our schedule, we usually eat a very light lunch, uh, which is always going to have vegetables in it. It's going to have green vegetables and some root vegetables in it. Uh, it's going to have maybe, uh, maybe some, uh, some ramen noodles or it's going to have some quinoa, uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe it's going to have a, a soup of some kind. We have a tendency to make, my wife, I, I shouldn't be saying this like this because of my wife that does almost all the cooking, right? So <laughs> my, wife, my wife likes to make soups and sometimes we freeze the soup so that we, so that if we get stuck for time, you know, we've always got something there, um, you know, and, and for dinner, it's pretty, much like, it's pretty much like lunch. It's grains, beans, vegetables, and uh, you know, maybe a little bit more diversity, more, more diver- diverse selection of vegetables. Uh, my wife also uses an approach to cooking which is, uh, um, uh, it has to do with uh, the colors and tastes, you know, so it's, which comes from Chinese medicine. It's not Chinese cooking, but it's those theories come from Chinese medicine where you have uh, lots of color on the plate, you know, so there's always orange vegetables and red vegetables and green vegetables. And, you know, there's lots, always lots of beige because we use grains. But, uh, you know, it's very, very simple, fair, very simple.
0: So I take it you don't believe in vitamins and minerals, at least supplemental vitamins and minerals. Well, with
1: with one exception, and that is uh, that since since I stopped eating all animal food, I do take a little, a very the very lowest amount of vitamin B twelve supplementation that you can take.
0: You take a methylated B twelve.
1: Yeah, and I take it like. Uh, t- t- twice a week, sometimes I even forget, you know, there's a, there's still a lot of controversy around whether you really need it or not. And, and, and mm-hmm. I prefer to play it safe. And I would never recommend a client to, uh, uh, to, to eat a, a completely vegan macrobiotic diet or a completely vegan, any kind of a diet, um, and not consider using B12. I think it's important. And it's particularly important for children.
0: I'm just curious, is your Community Health Foundation in London, England, which is something that you founded, and apparently is one of the largest natural health education centers in the world, which I was very impressed to learn, do you actually review blood tests or hair analysis or any kind of uh, accessible uh, ways of measuring people's nutritional and health status?
1: No, and that and, and that that foundation was founded in 1975, and uh, in, in 1989 it changed its name, and it's now a, a, a smaller operation, still in London. Uh, I don't have anything to do with it anymore. But uh, the answer is no. What we do, what I did do, though, is I worked for the Shaw Wellness Clinic uh, in southern Spain for for two years and helped them set the program up there. And that's a that's a, a, a very well known Clinic, um, and they, they have a full staff, a full medical staff there, uh, as well as uh, an alternative healthcare staff, and and they do they do blood work and uh, everything that you need to do there.
0: So let's move on to children because I have a great concern for this next upcoming generation they're contracting diseases that we used to just see in the elderly. Uh, I'm concerned about childhood obesity as I'm I'm sure you may be as well. So what kind of advice would you be giving to today's parents who want to provide their kids with good tasting and healthy meals in a schedule that is already so difficult to manage and to juggle?
1: Well it's the same kind of thing that's going to have to happen with parents uh, in, in a lot of arenas aside from nutrition and that is, uh, uh really need to learn how to protect our kids from the culture at large you know? and and the, the the it's very easy to track childhood obesity around the world all you have to do is follow the golden arches and colonel sanders literally mm-hmm. literally you can you can you can track you can you can look at the number of fast food uh, franchises that open up in a country, and you can look at the childhood di- uh, 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 obesity and uh, diabetes, and you see that they they actually mark each other. You know? so this is this is not a mystery. I mean, and and I, I'm very, uh, I'm very short uh, with people who say that they think that it is a mystery. You no, know, this is the, the worst diet that has ever been invented in the history of humanity, is the diet that was generated out of America in the 1950s. Uh, the fast food diet and continues to be developed and continues to be merchandised around the world. There's hardly any place in the world now where you can't get a big Mac. right? Uh, and it's a, these are corrupt organizations. And you, you, know, if you want your kids to be healthy, you keep your kids away from them and you educate your children. And it's not easy. Right. I have six children. It was, it wasn't easy. right? No. And it's never going to be easy because uh, the way that the foods are marketed is they're marketed with a, uh, with kind of social patina, you know, so uh, so they they're meant to be hip, you know, they're meant to be cool, uh, and and they're dangerous, and they're in schools, and they're all over the place, and and we have a bunch of idiots that run health policy in almost every country in the world,
0: mm-hmm. and so it
1: it means that parents have to step up to the plate, and it's the same thing with social media, it's the same thing with television, I mean. Parents have to, you know, be parents. They have to They have to say, no, don't stick your finger in the light socket. Uh, and uh, th- this goes for nutrition as well as it does with playing with fire and juggling with sharp knives. <laughs> it's just, there's, there's, no, there's no simple answer to do it. And the way to do it most effectively is, again, I'm going to say it, learn how to cook for God's sakes, you know. Make the, to
0: th- make the time to learn how to cook,
1: you know. Look, this is this is just a straw man, right? Um, th- I'm going to plug my wife's book now. Her, her book is called Go Vegan, and it's available on Amazon. And but the, there are other there are other books too. But you need a good cookbook which gives you really simple, tasty recipes. The word "tasty" is very important here. Sure. And I, I know that when you're dealing with kids, you you it's it's a big culture shock for them. But if you give kids good, tasty food at home and you keep educating them, that's the best you can do. There's going to be a time in their lives when, when they're buying their own food and you're not buying their food. Uh, and, and that's the time when they get to choose completely what they, what they have, what they eat and what they don't eat. Uh, when, you, when you have a child that's, that's at home, um, you're the one that's paying for the food. You're the one that's deciding what's on the table and you listen to them and you try to uh, uh, accommodate for their particular tastes, but it doesn't mean that you buckle under. And you know, it's amazing to me, I meet people all the time who are eating a a healthy diet, in quotes, right? Um, You know, and then they take their kids out to to get a Big Mac or, or, uh, or Kentucky Fried Chicken or something like that because they're giving them a treat. That's not a treat. (laughs) that's, that's terrible, you know, and I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but it's terrible, and, and, and people must know that. Why would they choose to do something that's healthy for them, and then give something that we, that we consciously call junk food, we call it junk food, and then we say, well, let's give the junk to the kids.
0: Mm, I, I, I know. I I hear you and I uh, quite understand this whole dilemma. So the other aspect of your book that I found very uh, enjoyable was that you discuss, uh, I didn't find it necessarily enjoyable, but I found it very hard-hitting. You discussed the the abuses that animals go through in order for us to be able to eat hot dogs and other animal-based food products. So, I know that there are many programs that advocate for animal rights, but is there anything that my listeners who care about the treatments of animals can do to make a real difference?
1: Yeah, stop eating them <laughs> it's, I mean, this is, this is this is not a difficult thing right? we've you know look science- scientifically, and I have to say I, I know that you told me off air that you know quite a few of your listeners would probably uh, eat a high protein diet, which, which is fine. Protein comes from plants and animals don't make protein. All protein comes from plants, so you might as well go to the source. But you know, we're, we're doing this thing, we're, we're eating animal food. And first of all, if I go through the checklist. First of all, it is the most single, most damaging thing to the environment of anything. For God's sakes, take a vacation on a jet plane, but stop eating animals. You know, it's it, far and away, it's the most polluting industry in the world. It not only pollutes uh, uh, rivers and soil, uh, it, it's wasteful of food products. We could feed twice as many people as we do now uh, if we just fed the food twice as many, six times as many pe- people uh, uh, if we just took the food that we feed to animals and fed it to human beings, which would be good quality food. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a silly thing. The, the, the ethical issues around it are pretty stunning, really. I mean, most, most people, and I know there are exceptions to this, but most people, if they had to go out and kill the animal themselves uh, and skin it uh, and then tan the hide and then you know, go down to the bones and the, you know, do the whole butchering themselves, they would stop eating the product. They just would. Oh, no question. Okay. And so, so we have to ask ourselves, if, we are, if we're reluctant to do that, why do we think it's okay to pay somebody else to do it for us? And usually it's somebody, by the way, uh, who is a minority person uh, and usually a person who lives in poverty and usually who lives their whole day, their whole workday, surrounded by blood.
0: Mm.
1: You know, so wh- why do that? I don't, you know, I don't believe in in you know the the necessity of showing people animal snuff movies, you know, to get them to stop eating uh, animal food. But but all of us must know what happens in an abattoir. It it it, it is it is inexcusable, and it's there with all kinds of animals because the thing that we know for sure. And and the the scientific data piles up week after week after week that all of these animals are sentient. They all think. They don't think like we do, but they all have a thought process. They they all feel pain. Uh, They all feel pleasure. Uh, They they protect their young. They play among themselves, you know? So Mm. why why do we decide at this point in our evolution or supposed evolution, that it's okay to kill another creature just for our pleasure. Because to me, there there is no way that scientifically you can say that we need to eat meat. The the data is just not there. I know that people you know refer to books that are written that say we, you know, we're meat eaters or this. We're omnivores, but we run on starch. You know, that's the, the basic biology of it. And there's no, there's no real research that's been done by anybody except the meat industry or the dairy industry that says that we should be eating those foods to be healthy. In fact, when you come to dairy food, I mean, it's the, the, the the research is overwhelming. You no, know, I mean, dairy food is a disaster. Right?
0: Well, that, that, per- I definitely, I definitely agree with you on that, on that score. Definitely you know, agree I mean, with it, on that score.
1: You know, people, People, I have I have women all the time who, you know, I talk to them about dairy food and they, and they tell me about their bones and they're worried about osteoporosis and I tell them, look, guess where all the, guess where the populations with the highest osteoporosis are?
0: Dairy eaters. Yes.
1: <laughs> it's, it's all the dairy food and just, it's all Scandinavian countries, Finland, Denmark, Norway, Sweden. You know, those are, those are the areas where there's the most hip fractures and the, and the most osteoporosis. Areas, areas in, in East Asia uh, where they don't have any dairy food as yet, right? No. Uh, in those areas where there's no dairy food consumption, osteoporosis is almost unknown.
0: Interesting. I uh, understand and have written about the very same things myself, but to close up now on how to eat right and save the planet, a plant-based survival guide for you and your family. What would you say is the biggest take home and takeaway aspect of your book that my listeners can embrace?
1: Well, for me, it's really simple. And that is the, that if we don't change our eating, uh, we're, we're going down a rabbit hole culturally. Because what's gonna happen, what happened in the 1940s was that the food industry completely took over food. People stopped cooking their food, they stopped preparing their food at home. And there were lots of interesting social reasons for that, which that's fine, they were there. Um, and, 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 and we put food processing over to industry. So the, so the people didn't cook anymore, industry prepared food for us and it was supposed to be convenient. And what happened is the disease rates went through the roof and they've continued to climb. And as you mentioned at the beginning of this program, um, now we're seeing children with diseases of old age. And it, to me, it's very simple. We either need to change our eating patterns or we're gonna doom our children, the next generation, not only to poor health, but and not only poor physical health, but also there's a connection here with, with, with mental health as well but we're also destroying the environment that we live in. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, it's really time now for us to go through a a new stage of evolution. And that stage of evolution is really thinking about the personal, as well as the social and environmental impact of the actions that we take. And if we do that, we, we find out that nature really provides for us very well. You know, everything that we need is here.
0: We're just screwing it up by making bad choices. <laughs> so true. What what I like about your book is that you recognize and understand the impact of food choices on the uh, the ability to reverse habits that damage not just the body, heart, and soul, but also the environment. So I I love that connection, which has begun. Which, which people are forgetting to uh, connect in this day and time and all the new books that are hitting the market. So last but not least, where can we find your how to you write, and save the planet? How can people get in touch with you, Bill, Tara, and where can they find your book? I
1: guess the easiest,
0: easiest way to get the book
1: is on Amazon, right? Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it's available there. It's published by Square One Publishing uh, in America. Um, uh, our website, my wife and I's website is, is macrovegan.com m-a-c-r-o-v-e-g-a-n macrovegan.org and we got lots of free stuff there people can go in there on our shop and if they scroll down there's some free booklets at the bottom and there's uh, recipes and there's uh, blog posts lots of lots of information on there which is available to anyone Um, and uh, yeah that's that's the way to stay in touch
0: Wonderful. So thank you so much for being my guest on the First Lady of Nutrition podcast, and I wish you all the best on how to eat right, and I know you're going to save the planet.
1: Thank you, Anne-Louise. Take care. Be well. Bye-bye.